So I think I'm going to do something today that I've never done before, and I don't know if you're ready for it, but we're going to have a three-point sermon. Um, I, I don't think I normally do that, but today, that's what we're going to do. Uh, we're in this uh, sermon series on the habits that we incorporate into our life. Over the last five weeks, we've looked at hospitality and listening and Sabbath and service and generosity. And I hope that um, it has been an opportunity for us to think about the habits in our life, the habits that we automatically incorporate, those things that we don't necessarily think about doing, but we do them anyway, and to consciously wonder what habits we can make a part of our life that cause our belief in Christ to manifest itself in habits. The last habit we're going to look at today is, is prayer. Richard Foster in his book, Spiritual Disciplines, I've, I've referenced that throughout uh, this uh, series. Uh, he says, of all the spiritual disciplines, those practices we put in our life to orient us towards God, he says prayer is the most central. Prayer is the central habit because it causes us to be in a relationship with God. But I think of all the habits that we've talked about, hospitality, listening, Sabbath, service, generosity, I think prayer there's an immense amount of difficulty to it. In part because we can be discouraged in multiple ways. We could be discouraged as people who hear about others' prayer lives that are, are fervent or that they have lengthy times of prayer with the Lord. I don't know if you've actually heard any of the stories about, uh, about various people, but... Um, Martin Luther, the 16th century reformer, it's, it's been said, uh, and actually even a little bit by himself, by his own words, that he prayed about three hours a day. And he was, he's kind of quoted in saying something like, I have so much to do that I shall have to spend the first three hours in prayer. I don't know about you, but Generally, if I have so much to do, I don't think, man, I have to spend the first three hours of my day in prayer. You know, there's other people too. John Wesley, he's one of the great hymn writers of, I believe, the 18th century. And besides writing 482 hymns, he prayed two hours a day. More recently, I think it was about 10 years ago, I was listening to um, Francis Chan. He was a pretty popular uh, pastor uh, in the time, wrote a book called Crazy Love, as, as well as uh, many other books. And, and he was talking about the hiring of staff people within his church. And he said he would never consider hiring anybody who wasn't willing to pray at least an hour of their day. You know, we can look at these individuals that would, 
pray an hour a day or two hours a day or three hours a day and be encouraged, but sometimes what happens is it kind of does the opposite thing and we think, man, I don't pray enough. We can get discouraged too when we hear people pray. We can think, man, I can't pray like that. I, I really don't know what to say. I always feel like I say the wrong thing when I pray. Maybe we think to ourselves, man, I fall asleep when I pray. Maybe we can get discouraged too because we feel like we don't see anything change. We pray fervently, frequently, and yet somehow it seems like we don't notice anything. We don't notice anything changed. So with these things in mind, we're going to start out this morning in 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. We're going to go verses uh, 16 through 18. Um, just a small section here at the end of chapter 5. Verse 16 begins this way. It says, Rejoice always. Verse 17, Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. That's, that's all of it, so I'll read it again for us. Rejoice always. Pray continually. Give thanks in all circumstances, for this is God's will for you in Jesus Christ. Pray continually. If we stick with the theme of discouragement, we maybe wonder, maybe exasperated, we say, how can I pray continually? I can't even pray X number of minutes before I get distracted by all of these other things that are clamoring for my attention in my life. And what we need to remember is that prayer is a learned habit. If we think about the disciples who followed Jesus, even the disciples asked Jesus, when we pray, how should we pray? And, and when Jesus taught them to pray, we didn't end up with chapters upon chapters of what Jesus taught them to pray. No, we had uh, the Lord's Prayer, which, let's see if I can get it up here. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. Jesus didn't even say amen after his prayer. Jesus gives this short prayer that is to help form their minds and help them to understand what it is and how it is they should pray. The disciples needed to learn how to pray. In the same way, we never expect a child to run. 
before they walk. They must take time first to do those first small steps, those ones that we get excited about as they pull themselves up on a piece of furniture and then move to another piece of furniture with two steps. Once they begin taking those small steps, the habit of walking is formed, and and then they can walk around without grabbing a hold of things as frequently. And then they begin moving a little faster, and they start running, and they're going to stumble, and they're going to fall, but they continue learning. In the same way, that's our prayer life. If we are going to begin to pray, and we think tomorrow, tomorrow's the day, I'm going to get up at 5 a.m., I'm going to pray from 5 a.m. to 8 a.m., and then I'm going to get on the rest of my day. I think we'd probably be a little bit delusional. Prayer, too, is this learned habit, a habit that takes practice and effort as we build it into our lives, just like Harvey and Mike wouldn't say, I'm going to go run a marathon tomorrow. No, they will take months of preparation, beginning with a small amount of mileage and then adding on each week until they get to the point where they feel like they can run that marathon. A couple months ago, in one of the discussion groups, we were talking about the habit of prayer, and and one of the students wondered, you know, what can we do to learn how to pray? And there was some various conversations that happened, and uh, one of the students piped up, and he said, you know, I really like it when this person prays in our church. They always have great prayers. They're short and snappy and to the point. Someone who's practiced prayer often does not necessarily mean that they're going to pray at great length all the time. Prayer is to not be this burden that weighs us down, but instead it's to be a grace that forms us and forms our thoughts and goes on to to really, truly change things within the world. So when we think about learning prayer, we're going to look at three things. These are the, the three points. Prayer involves a relationship. Prayer, first and foremost, is a relationship that we have with God. A way that we foster that is through communication, Foster writes, when we pray, we are discerning what would please God. We are discerning what would advance His kingdom. We are discerning where our will may conflict with what the Lord's doing. One of the ways God forms us is by teaching us that prayer is not a place for us to exercise our own will, but to acknowledge His will over the world, and that we would advocate for that will. 
one of the ways we could think about it is that when we pray, we are thinking or speaking God's thoughts after Him. If you think about the closest friends you have, the people that maybe you've known for a long time, 10, 20, 30, 40, 50 years, when you're with those people that you've known for a long time and you see a certain facial expression present itself on their face, it's like you already know what they're thinking, what they need in that moment without them saying a word. Perhaps you, you know what they need so you can advocate for them in a certain way. When we when we have those relationships, those close relationships, we bring all of ourselves, all our, our joys, all our concerns, all our desires, all our deepest fears. In those relationships, we can be our most honest and truthful self. And then as our friends begin to know our most honest and truthful self, they begin to know our joys. They begin to know our desires. They begin to know our concerns. They begin to know our fears. And when we think about prayer, we need to think about it in the same way. Jesus wanted us to think about our relationship with God as as something special. That's why I think he called God Father 66 times. Paul did the, the same thing calling God Father 42 times. When we pray, we're slowly, uh, and God is graciously revealing to us His will. Revealing to us His thoughts. Revealing to us His joys. And then He sets us free that we would, we would be transformed from those ways where our own will tries to snuff out His. Where our own will would be transformed by God's holiness and His wholeness. When we desire His holiness and wholeness, we become more aware of His heart, His desires, His loves. And then we begin to think His thoughts after Him. We begin to desire what He desires. We begin to love those He loves. We begin to will the things that He wills we recognize that prayer is something that we do from His perspective and not our own. Prayer is that central avenue where God transforms us and that we are conformed to be more and more like the image of Christ. That's why we pray. We pray because of what Christ has done for us. The relationship that Christ has given us by His sacrifice. 
the relationship that says we call God Father. When we know God's heart, then we can pray with confidence. When you look at what Jesus prays for, Jesus' prayers were never something that was half-hoping. If you look at Jesus' prayer that he teaches the disciples, it was not half-hoping that there would be forgiveness. It was not half-hoping that there would be bread provided. It was not half-hoping that God would maybe one day sometimes lead us. There was confidence in his prayer that said, forgive us and lead us and give us our daily bread and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. No statements with question marks, but a confidence that he had in the Father and what the Father was about to do. When we pray, we too must not pray with half-hoping prayers, but praying with confidence that the Lord will truly change something based on our prayer. We have confidence in God because He has shown Himself to be faithful. In Ephesians 3, Paul writes that God can do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. It's a pretty amazing verse because if I would imagine something, if I would imagine something so great and so grand... When we acknowledge the power and the faithfulness of God, that would just be the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. What we can imagine is just a small portion of God's power and what God has in store for this world. If we have confidence in God's saving power, we can have confidence in God's power as it relates to our prayer. I think one of the ways where maybe we don't pray with confidence, what happens when we get discouraged, when we feel like we pray and nothing changes? Perhaps we even wonder, well, why does he even pay to pray? Because if if God, you know, he already has his will settled and he's going to do what he wills within the earth, then why, why are we going to pray? Because it just doesn't do anything. And that would be the wrong way to think about it. If we went to Numbers chapter 14, and what we'd find is that the Lord was frustrated with the people of Israel. God, through Moses, had, had just brought the people of Israel out of Egypt where they had, had suffered under the hands of the Egyptians by being slaves. And God brings them out into the wilderness and the Israelite people are somewhat ungrateful. We'll put it that way. And, and they actually, they begin to complain to Aaron and to Moses 
And the people actually think about stoning Moses and Aaron to death. And God essentially is just beside himself, and he wants to start it all over. He wants to wipe out all of the people of Israel to strike them down for their behavior. And what happens is that Moses then advocates to the Lord on behalf of the people And then the Lord, though he said he was going to strike them down, said back to Moses, I have forgiven the people just as you have asked. Just as Moses pleaded with expectation, knowing that God is faithful, knowing that he is compassionate and gracious and slow to anger and abounding in love, He knew that advocating for the people, the Lord would respond. He prayed with confidence. When we pray, we partner with God. We work with God advocating for His will, for His holiness, for His righteousness, for His graciousness to be experienced in the outworking of this world. When we pray, we work with God to determine what will happen here in this world. When we begin to know who the Father is, His joys, His hopes, who He loves, we pray with confidence, and then we realize that prayer involves asking and advocating. Now, I want to say there are many different aspects to prayer, and this is only part of it, right? Uh, We can pray prayers of thankfulness, right? We can pray prayers of confession as we did earlier, right? Uh, So this is just one of the ways that we can pray. Prayer involves a relationship. Prayer involves confidence. Prayer involves asking and advocating. When we begin to think God's thoughts after Him, we begin advocating and asking the Lord to make those things real on earth just as it is in heaven. God knows we need to ask because we're not self-sufficient people. We're, in, we're people in need. And the truth is, when we ask, the Lord truly listens. We're going to quickly gloss over a a couple passages within Scripture. John 15, verse 7. If you remain in me and my words remain in you, ask whatever you wish, and then it will be done for you. We went to James chapter 1, verse 5. If any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. Or if we went to Matthew chapter 7, verse 7, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. Or 1 John chapter 5, verse 14. This is the confidence we have in approaching God that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us.
we begin to ask the Lord to intervene into situations where we know His will perhaps is being clouded over by someone attempting to exercise their own will. When we think about asking and advocating for others, Richard Foster writes, we should never wait until we feel like praying before we pray for others. We should just begin. Allowing God to form the compassion within our life just as He is a compassionate God. As we pray for others, asking and advocating on behalf of them to the Lord, the Lord increases our empathy to experience what others experience. You might be thinking, that's great. Yeah, you know, we've talked about a lot of theories about praying. Yeah, prayer's a relationship. We pray with confidence, okay. Yeah, we're going we're gonna to ask when we pray, but how do I actually do it? How do I actually begin to have those baby steps of prayer in my life so I can begin to pray unceasingly? There's an author of multiple books on prayer named Frank Laubach. Uh, and, and he said this, to begin to pray through the eyes of who you see and through the ears of who you hear. It allows us to go through our world listening as we walk through the aisles of a store and we hear a a child screaming, that's an opportunity to say, Lord, I pray for patience for that mother or father. When we see a coworker walking through the hallways, we could say a, a sentence, Lord, give them your presence today as they go throughout meetings. Or, Lord, cause them to feel loved today. Maybe if you see someone driving around and they are in a vehicle that's got a construction sign on the side, you could say, Lord, keep them safe as they work today. Opportunities present themselves when we think about praying through the eyes of who we see and praying through the ears of who we hear. And it doesn't need to be this paragraph-long prayer. It could just start with one sentence at one time. You know, maybe you want to foster praying for your children or grandchildren. You know, one easy practice that uh, Justin Whitmore Early says for parents could be as you're walking up to your room or wherever your room is to go to bed, take a detour and stop at each child's door of their room. And pray a simple prayer. Lord, I pray that they love you. Lord, I, I pray that you would reveal yourself to them and that they would love you. Lord, cause them to 
enjoy school tomorrow. Lord, we pray that they would delight in You and the goodness that You have for them. You know, the other way we can foster prayer is, have you ever heard someone say, will you pray for me? Sometimes we say yes, and then we walk away, and maybe we forgot to write down the request, or maybe we forget to do that. But what if we just prayed right there? They say, would you pray for me? And we could respond, can we do it right now? Or maybe you don't do it right then and there when you're with them in their presence, but as you walk away, you shoot out one of those one or two sentence prayers. When we begin to put these habits of these one or two sentence prayers in our life, by praying for who we see or what we hear, by praying quick prayers before we go to bed, what we begin to do is think of prayer in terms of all of the other activities that we do throughout the day. We begin to think of the moment when we move from one meeting to another as an opportunity to pray. We think about those moments where we're beginning something we know will be difficult as a moment to say a single phrase in prayer. And then... We begin to pray unceasingly for all the things that God has put in our world, all the things that we notice, all the things that He cares about, that He loves, and that He desires that we advocate for. As we think about prayer, it's a question for thought. What character traits do you notice in people who are committed to prayer? And think about how we ourselves can begin to model that within our own life. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, you've given us a, a gift. the opportunity to speak to You. The opportunity that even when we don't know what to say, that Your Word says the Spirit advocates with groanings too deep for words. Cause us to think about those ways that we can Form the habit of prayer in our life. Advocating and asking for what You desire to see in this world. Cause us not to look as, at prayer as a, a chore, but cause us to delight in our opportunity to speak and to listen to You. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen.